0: speak to you folks about this today from God's Word. So Psalm 100, uh, let me call your attention to our text verse, verse number five. I think you actually have some outline notes on the back or somewhere in your bullets, and if if that's of interest to you. But uh, the, the verse says, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. So let's pause, we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll look into the message for today. Oh, God in heaven, we thank you that you are great, even as we sang a while ago. And we pray, Father, that you will be glorified in our hearts and lives today. We thank you that we were reminded in Sunday school that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. As we have the opportunity, perhaps, to concentrate a little bit on that second thought here today in Psalm 100, I pray that you will bring to us a renewed sense of joy in you and your person. and the goodness that you display to us on a constant basis. I pray, Lord, that uh, you'll give me the ability to minister today in a way that honors you. I do pray for liberty and freedom so that uh, there will be no hindrance or restraint from the human standpoint, uh, either in the listener or in the preacher today, so that your word will go forth unfettered, unbound, and reach our hearts. I pray that no one will go today away today without a sense of Uh, the Word of God, uh, ministering and the Holy Spirit, ministering in hearts and lives. I pray, Lord, that you will give me a fresh cleansing and sense of your presence also and uh, the ability to minister today. We know, Lord, we can go through motions. We can uh, do things that we're familiar with by routine, but we can't produce spiritual accomplishment in the lives of people. That's only something you do. So we trust you for that today. Pray you'll use this time now. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. For I pray these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. If someone were to ask you, what is your favorite psalm? Or maybe take the question differently, actually. And if someone were to ask you, what is the most well-known psalm? You'd probably say Psalm 23. And I, I wouldn't argue with that. I think that's probably hands down true. If somebody asked you for... The next one, somewhere in there, two, three, whatever, you're going to say Psalm 100. Um, I was privileged as a young boy, but not for the reasons you're thinking. Uh, my parents were concerned about our education, so they, and when we grew up in, in Charleston, South Carolina, they selected for us a school run by a Baptist church, not an independent Baptist church as you know it today. It would have been a Southern Baptist church, but you're talking back lots and lots of years, so... But at any rate, it was a church run by, our school run by that church. And in the second grade, as part of the scripture that we were required to memorize, we had to memorize Psalm 100. And I'm sure many of you could recite Psalm 100 as well. Psalm 100 really is sort of a, a pinnacle, really, in the Psalms, especially when you look at it in a broader context. For example, and you may or may not have heard this before, but there are is a grouping of Psalms that leads up. To Psalm 100. And that grouping of Psalms is Psalm 93 through Psalm 99. So if you take Psalm 100 and look at it in the sense of the capstone or the icing on the cake to that, uh, you have an interesting thought to contemplate because these Psalms are what are known as the homage Psalms. In other words, they invite us to acknowledge and praise God. For a certain element of his character, and that has to do with his kingship. So listen, or look with me, would you, at at Psalm 93. Let me try to demonstrate this for you. Psalm 93, if you'll notice the opening uh, verse of this, it says, The Lord reigneth. Then if you go to Psalm 97, look what it says. The Lord reigneth. If you go to Psalm 99 and verse 1, look what that says. The Lord reigneth. Do, Do you begin to see what's going on here? You have a grouping of psalms. It's a fascinating thing to realize that the psalms were not just thrown together. There's a mind at work, and I hope we would see behind that the leadership and working of the Holy Spirit as the Jews worked with these psalms, and they were put together. There's a distinct, I think, thing. there are things you can distinctly see here, so you see that in the psalm. Then if, let's go to Psalm 95, and we'll notice in Psalm 95, verse number 3, For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Look at Psalm 96, um, uh, verse 1. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, verse 2. Bless his holy name and show forth his salvation from day to day. Notice Psalm 98. You'll notice how this psalm begins. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. So do you get the idea of what's going on here? homage psalms. In other words, they invite the worshiper in a simple way, a very simple way. The language is extremely simple, but the fervency of the language is unapologetic. Notice, for example, in Psalm 100, verse number one, make a joyful noise. The worshiper is invited to do this. Look at verse number two, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. You're invited to do this. And as you do this, don't just think about corporate worship. Think about what your day-to-day life is, especially as you think about your, your daily time and your walk with the Lord. Does what he's talking about here characterize that? And then we get down to verse number four. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. So do you see what I'm saying? The language here is simple. It's not difficult to understand. And yet at the same point, it's unapologetically fervent. It's seeking for us a fervent, heartfelt, passionate response to these truths about God's character. I'll say one last thing before we look at the key thoughts today. That is this, that one of the things that I'm intrigued by and one of the things that is a blessing to me, and and right where this sermon is coming from today, verse number five. See, we are not just left. If I stopped right now. And didn't say anything else, you say, Oh, okay, yeah, okay, I, I see that. And, and, and I'm familiar with other verses in the Bible that might document that same truth. But we're not left with a routine exhortation. We're not just left with someone who says, Okay, we should be joyful. We should have a fervency to our worship. We should have a passion to our worship. I could tell you that, and you wouldn't disagree with me, but I wouldn't be really helping you understand why, or helping you in your Christian walk, or me in my Christian walk, to do that more obediently, and better. So he doesn't stop there. The first four verses give us that, but the last verse, he gives us three reasons why. So I call this message today, Pillars of Praise. If you think about a foundation, if it's going to be a sure foundation, you want it to rest on something that's secure. So this is not about working up today. This is not talking about working up some sort of artificial excitement. Excitement's not wrong. But we're not talking now about something that's artificial. We're talking about something that works every day. You ever heard that little saying before, God is good all the time and all the time God is good? And it's, it, it can become trite if you say it too many times. I realize that, but it's true. And it's something that we need to understand and recognize in our lives. And I will say one other thing. That is all of this, when you put all of this together, it's designed to demonstrate to us what we are taught so many other places in the Bible. For example, Psalm 31 verse 1 says that praise is comely uh, for the believer. Praise is comely. Praise is appropriate. Praise becomes a believer of in God. In, in the true and living God. My personal belief is Christians are meant to be joyful. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy. In fact, it's mentioned second there. Love, joy. Christians are meant to be joyful, and I'll go to another one. The church is meant to be a singing church. A church without a Bible is lost, but a church without a songbook is also in trouble. Because God meant for the church and God's people to be a singing church. I always smile when I think about this, that the American author, who was also a physician, Oliver Wendell Holmes, is he grew up in a home. His father was a minister. So I'm sure he as he was thinking as a young boy about what was he going to pursue and do in life. I'm sure he had some sort of an awareness that his father would have been pleased if he had, followed him into the ministry. He chose not to do that, of course, as I mentioned, and you probably know, he was a writer, probably best known in that way, also a physician. But he had something interesting to say later in life as he wrote uh, his life in letters, is, as he talked about his own experiences, he said this, I might have been a minister myself if, certain, if a certain clergyman had not looked and talked so much like an undertaker. Well, I think to me, that's a bit of a condemnation. I I know that all of us have different personalities and um, maybe some people are the type that wake up in the morning and just, hi, and other people, it works a little bit differently. But so many Christians, if you think about this, are really a poor advertisement. Why would would some people, when they look at us, want to be a Christian? And so I hope that I can encourage you this morning because this is is something you work on every day. This is not something you just get one time because things are going to come along to test all of this. Okay, enough said, let's get into it. So there are three reasons that are given to us. And the first one is that his goodness never wavers. Let's look at this. The little word for at the beginning of the verse sort of tips us off to the fact that now he's going to provide some thought work. He's going to provide some reasons for what he's asked us to do. He's going to defend this call to worship God fervently. And he gives us this first reason, the Lord is good. Did you notice it doesn't say the Lord does good. Does he do good? Yeah, absolutely he does good, but the statement doesn't say that. It says the Lord is good. So in other words, here's a challenge when we really meditate on this to go deeper, far deeper than to just make the statement, the Lord does good, because this, this actually challenges us to think about why it is that God does good. God does good because it's his very character. It reflect it reflects his core values. The Lord is good. I'll illustrate it this way by taking you to another place in scripture, but you don't have to turn. I think you would probably be familiar with this, but if you were to go to the little epistle of 1 John, you would find, again, John uses very simple language, but there's a there's sort of a misnomer there. In that simplicity is extreme depth. And uh, so the language is easy to understand, but the concepts are profound. So here are three. In that little five-chapter epistle of First John, he makes three statements about God's character. In chapter one, verse six, he says, that the Lord is light, and in him is no darkness at all." This reflects who God is. This is God's very character. God is light. You get a little bit later into the book you get to chapter 4 in verse 8 and he says God is love. This reflects who God is. It's why he loves indeed because it's who he is in character. And then of course uh, we get to chapter 5 it says about the Lord Jesus Christ this is the true God and eternal life. And I think about that three statements. God is light, God is love. God is life. These are not so much telling us things God does, although we can think of a lot of things that flow out of that. These are telling us God's core, who he is by nature. So when the psalmist says the Lord is good, he's taking us far deeper than making a statement that just says the Lord does good. He's explaining why. And if you want to think about this, if you, if you want some idea of how essential this truth really is to grasp about the God you claim to know and worship that he is good in every fiber of his being, then just think about the fact that that's the first thing that the devil sought to attack in the Garden of Eden. So he singled out Eve. You know the story in Genesis chapter 3 and the serpent comes and of course we realize it's the devil. And I'm going to paraphrase if you'll give me that liberty. He says to her... Nice garden you have here. These trees. Can you eat of these trees? Oh, she says, we may, we may eat of every tree of the garden. Ah, except for this one over here. And God said, don't eat of that and don't even touch it. Because in the day that thou shalt surely die. What did he say? Thou shalt not surely die. So at his core, the devil is a liar. God is truth. The devil is a liar. What's the lie? For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, ye shall become as gods, knowing good and evil. Now think that through. What's he saying? He's planting a seed of doubt. A seed of doubt about what? About God's character. That God really isn't as good as you think. He put you in this nice garden, surrounded you with pleasant trees and birds singing and all of these idyllic conditions and passed himself off as somebody who's good, but you know, I'll give you the inside scoop about God. That may be how he's led you to believe that that's not really the story. God is, let's put it this way. God is sort of like a cosmic ogre who sits up there in heaven and tries to find ways that he can inflict pain. God's withheld this from you. It's that little seed of doubt planted in her mind about God's essential goodness. And if you think about this, every day, the temptation to believe that gets us into trouble. Maybe every day you're not tempted that way, but on the days when things don't go quite like you're thinking or events happen in your life, you lose your job or something of that nature, you lose your health, you lose a loved one. Some untoward event happens. You run out of money. I mean, this, it's endless, right? The devil comes along and he's trying to suggest to us hmm. why? Well, God doesn't have to let that happen to you. And the first thing you know, he's sown seeds of doubt, he's sown seeds of temptation, he's sown seeds of bitterness that's why a lot of Christians aren't joyful. Because you can't check out on life, you can't exempt yourself from trials. Unsaved people get that and Christians get that. That's just part of life in a in a fallen world. Trials come along all the time. Christians lose their joy because somehow Satan is successful in distracting us from that core value that we know to be true about God and it's where the Psalmist starts. He says For the Lord is good, and I'm here to tell you this morning that that goodness never wavers. That goodness never flickers. If you think about an oil lamp or a candle or something like that, maybe the oil lamp is getting a little low on the oil or something, and maybe it flickers a little bit before it goes out. It's never that way with God. God is consistent. I said to you earlier the little phrase that we know: God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And you have to. It's almost like some days you have to get up and remind yourself of that. But the psalmist elsewhere tells us that that's true. The psalm that I referred to earlier, Psalm 23 and verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall what? Follow me all the days of my life. There's never a day that I get up that it's not true that God is good. There are days that I get up that Satan wants me to believe something different about God. But the psalmist says, you know what? You come into God's presence and worship him and pay him your homage and do so with unabashed joy and thanksgiving in your heart because God is good. Aren't you glad that that's true? Aren't you glad that God is not like the ancient Greek gods? These are the the gods of man's imagining. If you know, remember this a little bit from school. Think about your ancient Greek mythology and think about how capricious and arbitrary and oftentimes vindictive and vengeful The Greek gods were. Here's one little story for you. The Greeks told a story about Aurora, and Aurora was the goddess of the dawn. Well, she made the mistake, I guess, of falling in love with Tithonus, who was a mortal youth. And so Zeus offered Aurora uh, the, the wish of her choice in respect to this young man that she had fallen in love with. And so you could almost guess what she asked for. She asked for him to be immortal, to last forever. However, and the way this is, the story is told, she forgot to ask that he would be young forever. And so he continued on aging, like we all do, aging, 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 until finally here she was, immortal. And, but her spouse was decrepit, old, broken down. And the thing that she thought was good, the gift that she thought was good, turned into a curse. Well, our father is no Zeus. God is good. Secondly, and we have to hasten, but we get another pillar of praise. The first one is to understand something about who God is by his very nature. He's good. The second is, his mercy is everlasting. Now, if you see your notes there, the point that I want to communicate to you is this love never fails. So right away, maybe you're, you're sort of wondering, okay, why did he choose to say love? as opposed to the verse that's or the word that's in the verse, mercy. Well, here's a little something that's interesting for you. And if you don't mind doing a little listening in and thinking about this, it, it may pay you some rewards later. But see, here's where we get into a situation where we've got an Old Testament word that you don't have an exact equivalent word for in English. And anybody who's studied a foreign language and anybody who's done work with foreign languages, it doesn't have to be ancient languages. It doesn't have to be the... The original languages of the bible really it can be any any you'll find this you'll find many times if you read if you read people who translate the bible many times this is one of the great challenges that they have that they're going from uh, the parent language uh, if they're using the ancient languages they're going from that uh, or if, if they happen to need to go from a, a a pre-existing translation like an english translation and they that's all they can do and they're trying to go into some uh, foreign language Well, many times you just don't meet up with a word that there's not a one-to-one correspondence between that word in Swahili or whatever it is and the English or Greek or Hebrew word that you're trying to work with. And as I say, anybody who's studied foreign languages knows that and can tell you that. Well, that's kind of the problem with this word. Um, This is the word hesed in the original language. And um, just to show you some idea, if you were to get out of concordance or something and look, you'd be able to find this out. But just to show you something of the challenge that it presented to English translators, this is a common word in the Old Testament. This is a rich concept. It's often there. It occurs some 248 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot. But yet here are about the four or five most common renderings of it, showing that the, the translators often struggled with which word was best in the context to bring out the thought that they were grappling with or that the word was trying to convey. So of 248 times in the King James Version of the Bible, 148 times it's rendered kindness, 40 times it's, I'm sorry, uh, yes, uh, 148 times uh, kindness, it's, I'm uh, sorry, mercy, it's rendered 148 times, kindness, it's rendered 40, loving kindness, it's rendered 30, and goodness, it's rendered 12. So let me try to, to just give you a quick thought of what's going on, and you'll maybe see why this is, a, this is a really profound concept, but one that's difficult to always capture with one word in an English translation. Because what you've got is a word that talks about love, but it's love that's based or on or born of a relationship, In the Old Testament, can you think of the type of relationship that God had with his people? What governed it? It's a word that starts with a C. Covenant. Right? Covenant. Then we talk about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the New, the New Covenant. This is sort of the concept there. So, covenant was often the context in which this. But this love that was born of this relationship between two parties would be manifested in loyalty. Why do you blend love and loyalty? That's tough, right? I mean, we have those two words. They're distinct, but we we have trouble sometimes with trying to blend those. So let me take you over to a cross-reference. I think this will clear it up for us, and uh, we'll be able to get the point made and move on. But this is important to capture. And back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, if you don't mind marking your place there in Psalm 100, just turn back there for a moment. And let's read from verse 14. So this is talking about David and Jonathan. And everybody knows the relationship that David and Jonathan had, that it was one of love, almost like brothers. Verse 14 says, this is Jonathan speaking here. And he says to David, he knows David's going to be king. He knows that's God's will. He has no problem with that like his brother, like his father does. But he says, thou shalt not only while I yet live, show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not. Well, there it is, kindness. But do you see how it's this concept of a covenant that exists between two people? And it's a love born of of that that manifests itself in loyalty. So he says to me, uh, concerning me and my seed afterwards, but thou shalt also not cut off. Thy kindness, thy loyalty, thy love for my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, everyone from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a what? A covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. Verse 17. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said unto David, and so forth, and so on it goes. You see how these concepts are sort of merging, and kindness is the key word in this context that's used to, 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 to render this Old Testament concept. Well, that's what we have right here in our verse. For the Lord is good, it says, his hesed, his loyal love. But that doesn't sound like good English. So something like unfailing love would be a decent translation of this and in many contexts would work. The point, though, beloved, is after you get the learning over with, Okay, I apologize for the the background, but it's important to have that. How does this really apply? What does this really mean to me? What does it really mean to you? Well, it means that God has a relationship with us through his son. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you have a relationship with God through his son. That wasn't formally true before you were saved because in times past, we were alienated from God and enemies in our minds by evil works. But God has reconciled us to himself through his son and we have a relationship, a love relationship with him. So it doesn't matter what type of times you pass through. I mean, it matters because every every one of us doesn't want, no one wants hard days, everyone wants Days where it's balmy, the wind's at your back and the the breezes are calm. Nobody wants the rough seas. But we have them, right? Life is full of the rough seas. And it doesn't matter whether you've got a balmy day and it's just picture perfect, like some of these days we've had over the weekend have been kind of different than some of what we've had. But whether it's a picture perfect day and you're in a you're in a lounging chair along the the beach and the water's beautiful and the breeze is nice and you're watching the birds and the porpoises and all these things or whether you've got one where you're out there and the, the swells are disturbing, scary and bring anxiety into your life. It doesn't really matter through rough times and through good times. God has a relationship with us through his son. And because of that relationship, there is a love born that manifests itself in loyalty. And what it really means is no matter what day you get up, not only is God good, but God is always there. His loyal love. God never forsakes us. So now let's let's think of a human relationship for a moment. What relationship do humans often have that's really defined by a covenant? In fact, it's what it is, is a covenant between... A man and a woman, what's that? This is not a trick question. Marriage. Marriage, right? Well, I'm going to tell you a little story. Because we can all look around us and see examples of where we took those vows. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. That's pretty realistic. But, you know, when you're first married, you don't know any of that. You just kind of, whoo, and that's great. Enjoy, enjoy it. You know, I mean, that's what God gives it to us for. But sooner or later, you figure out, well, you know, two people not only have to live together, they have to adjust to each other, and then they have to face the common trials, but they are heirs together, Peter tells us, of the grace of life. God is with us every step of the way in our sojourn. Doesn't matter whether the breeze, breezes are balmy or the seas are rough, God is there. Well, years ago, when I came to Huntingdon, I met a family. They're still in the church. They had been in the church for years and years and years. They had four children. Their second daughter, so second oldest of the four, was five years old. young lady was five years old when I came to the church. And so, as time went on, she got to, I would say, maybe somewhere around her sophomore year in college, she was diagnosed with Crohn's. I don't know if you know about Crohn's. Crohn's is nasty. And this teenager, until today, where she's 35, her life has been... An unfolding saga of pain, surgery, hospitalizations, and all of that. Well, the day came when the Lord brought a young man into her life. And he wasn't from our town, he wasn't from our church, but I had the privilege of marrying those two. A week before that service, she was in the hospital sick. So her husband knew, her husband to be knew that she had some physical difficulties and so forth, but they got into marriage and then they got the news that nobody wants to hear as a young married couple, and that was that it probably wasn't a wise idea for them to even attempt having children because of this Crohn's and because of how some things were internally, it, it probably was too risky uh, for her to have children. And this you have to understand this young lady, she loves kids. And her husband loves kids. Well, truthfully, I can tell you this because she's not here, but she knows it anyway. She's one of my heroes. Because day in and day out, through all those difficult times, she somehow manages to keep the kind of spirit that draws people. And you go there to visit her, and she might tell you, if you press her, but you'll only get about one question out about how are you feeling before she'll start talking about you. And as I pray for them, I often think, you know, it's as important for me to pray for him as it is for me to pray for her. But he's faithful. Good days, bad days, hospitalizations, surgeries, he's there. You know, that's Hesed. That's this loyal love. That's, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, played out in an imperfect human relationship, but by two people manifesting the grace of God in their lives. And it's just a small imperfect picture of God. So the pillars of praise, we have to talk just quickly about the last one, because, but it's you look at this, for the Lord is good, his mercy or his love never fails. The last statement is his truth endureth. And so once again, you notice I've chosen to use a different word. I've used his faithfulness never falters. Well, how did I get faithfulness? Was Did I just sort of choose to say that because it was easier to preach on faithfulness than it was on truth? No, it's one of those Situations again where you've got a word that means truth or faithfulness and the context needs to just settle which one is under consideration but the two are not mutually exclusive in fact they overlap because by ver- very virtue of the fact that God is truth God is also faithful because God never tells you anything that he doesn't mean and God never makes a promise he doesn't keep and so In this particular verse, probably the better rendering to bring out the force of what the psalmist is trying to get at is, is that God's faithfulness, yes, his truth, but what's the outworking of that truth in every generation? The outworking of that truth in every generation is is that God is faithful. So when I think about the Old Testament and I think about the God of the patriarchs, and I realize that the God of the patriarchs is the God of the present, The God that parted the Red Sea when their backs were against it is the same God I serve. The God who walked through the wilderness with the children of Israel, who provided them water when they needed water, who put up with them when they complained and murmured time after time. The God who provided them flesh, the God who provided them bread, the God who provided guidance in the form of a cloudy pillar during the daytime and fire at night. Those aren't concepts that went by the wayside when we shifted over after John the Baptist to the New Testament, no. What we read about God is this. In Malachi chapter three, verse six, God says to himself, behold, I am the Lord, I change not. He's the same yesterday. The writer of the Hebrew tells us this. Did you ever think about this verse? Our problem with this verse is we're so familiar with it that we don't really Think about what it's trying to say to us. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Or how about this? I love this verse. This is one of my, most, this is one of my favorite verses when I'm thinking about this. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect. Did you hear the word good? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights. So now we have to think astronomically. The Father of lights, with whom is no variableness. Neither shadow of turning. So that people today can tell us what time the sun will rise a hundred years from now on this date. Because it's like clockwork. God is predictable in that sense. He's always true, never deviates from that. He is, he never falters. His faithfulness is always there. You know, when I was in college, and I believe some of you are familiar with this, but I don't know if they still have blackboards. I think that might've been something that's gone by the wayside. But in the main classroom building, I haven't been in there now to see since 1927 when I was there, no. But over the Blackboards. they had little signs, as it were, with the sayings of the founder, chapel sayings of the founder. One of those is a classic. A lot of people quote that and don't know where it came from. Here's where it came from. It was the old-time evangelist, Bob Jones Sr., who said it, the greatest ability is dependability. This is what he was talking about. God is dependable. God never falters. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I like a little story that goes with that because there's an American author by the name of Lloyd Douglas. Some people might know the book The Robe that he wrote because it's it's fiction, but it's an interesting story based on the Roman soldier who won the robe in the gambling for Jesus. Remember, they didn't part that. They didn't tear that. And so it, it's an, it's, it, it's sort of, it was incredibly popular when he first wrote this. He was an author and a minister, a, a sometimes Lutheran, I think sometimes congregational uh, minister. But Lloyd Douglas tells the story of, again, thinking of something that happened that was impressive to him when he was in college, that he remembered that he lived in a boarding house and he lived on the upper floor. And there was a, a retired man who was a music teacher who lived on the lower floor. And they had a great relationship, and every day they had a, a little bit of a ritual that they developed whereby uh, Lloyd Douglas, he would come downstairs, and he would knock on the old music teacher, the retired music teacher's door. And he would say something to him like this every day, well, what's the good news? And the old man would respond, he'd pick up a tuning fork, and he'd give it an appropriate tweak. And he would said, you see that? That's middle C. It was middle C yesterday. It will be middle C tomorrow. And it will be middle C a thousand years from now. The tenor upstairs sings flat. The piano across the hall is out of tune. But that, my friend, is middle C. I like that about God. Jesus never fails. Always the same. See, happiness, if you're looking to draw a distinction, and with this we close, happiness, if you're looking to draw a distinction between that and joy, and they're overlapping concepts, but they're different words, and there really is a a distinction that you can draw. And if you're looking to draw that distinction, happiness is based on circumstances, because happiness, if you think about it, comes from hap or happening. So if, like the local uh, convenience store across Pennsylvania and in many states, has a sweepstakes going on right now and you pull up there for gas and they, they actually, on the pumps now, they, you can't get away from them. They're always advertising. They the actual video comes on the screen and you're looking at this thing talking. They're bragging about their sweepstakes and they're going to give away $100,000 and they show this one guy and the man comes up on, on the doorstep, knocks on the door. Of course, it's staged, but it's, it also was true and they gave this guy a brand new truck. Well, in central Pennsylvania, you give a guy a brand new truck. I'm sure that guy was happy that day, you think? I would have been, but that isn't going to necessarily do it for me three days from now or a month from now. I'm going to be really excited that day. But these pillars of praise, they're there every day. See, and joy is like that. It's there every day. There's something deeper about joy. It doesn't depend just on happenings in my life or circumstances. And so that in these three pillars, we have a sure foundation. They go deep, very deep, so that we do not lose our footing. There's a popular writer, Christian writer today. His books are well-known by many people. But he tells a story about the fact that years ago, he lived on a houseboat. And he said, on the Miami River. Well, in this houseboat, the Miami River would rise and fall with the tide. And when a boat would come by, the houseboat they lived in would rock with the wake. But he said... Though the level changed and the boat rocked, we never drifted away. Why? Because we were anchored to the concrete seawall. This is what I'm talking about this morning, beloved. You have three reasons, three pillars of praise. The water of the river may ebb and flow. You may get bumps here and there in life, but these truths about God don't change. And in a practical sense, what we all need to do is each day get up and remind ourselves because God is good. You can get excited about God. It won't be wrong for you to be passionate about God. It won't be wrong for you to worship God with all your heart. Because just like these homage psalms teach us, he is worth it. He is worthy of it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word this morning thank you for the privilege of being reminded of these great truths. But yet the battle is before us, Lord, because we realize that it's not always easy for us to keep these truths in mind. In fact, it's very easy for us to become distracted. It's very easy for us to lose sight of them when the difficulties and problems of life come along. And then we find ourselves in the situation that Oliver Wendell Holmes was talking about, where we're not much of an advertisement for our Christianity because people look at our lives and, don't really see much draw there because we don't seem to be happy people. We don't seem to be joyous people. So wherever we are today, whatever our problems, however the water ebbs and flows or the waves rock the boat, help us to be able to fasten onto these things. Help us to give, a, have a sense of refreshment in our exhilaration, in our happiness, in our joy, in our exuberance for the God we serve. And I pray that it will be genuine and real in our lives. Now, if you give me just a moment, our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. So let me just ask you this. I See, I know how it is because I or you, uh, we're all cut out of the same bolt of cloth, right? We all have the same fallen nature. We all face trials. And maybe, maybe though today you've come to church and you've listened to this, but you say to yourself, hey, preacher, you know, I just kind of feel like I've... Something has stolen my joy. Something has robbed me of my song. But I think I catch a little bit of what you're talking about here today. I've got these truths, these pillars. They don't change. God is good. And if I believe something else, I believe a lie. And I can count on God because his faithfulness never falters. Pray for me. I want you to take just a few moments before we sing. Jacob, what's our page? 262. 262. Amy, would you just begin to quietly play take 262? But while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, how many people here this morning say, Preacher, I'll take just a few moments while I contemplate and meditate on what I've heard this morning to talk to God and say, Oh, dear God, give me that joy. Give me that song. I want to be that type of Christian, and I've just gotten a little bit off the track. Let your burden this morning slip your hand up, would you? Let me pray for you. Anybody, anywhere? God bless you. Someone else? God bless you. Someone else? Let's just take a moment. Talk to God.